So thanks for being here today. It's good to see you. Uh, thanks for everybody who came out in the rain the other night. Nothing like being uh, kind of wet and then in a warm room. Uh, but man, it was fun to see about 100 people from Charlestown come through and look at photos. Thank you if you volunteered with that. Um, I want to encourage you to go. If you haven't seen it yet, that would be awesome. If you're a guest today, thanks for being here. Uh, one thing that I remember like being in camp as a kid and you would string together like I remember having to make jewelry. I always hated doing that. It was lame. Uh, but I remember you would kind of string together one thing and then you would add another thing and another thing. For a lot of us, it's a bold move to come to church. I pray that it kind of leads to another bold move and another bold move and another bold move. Uh, and, to, and it, it gets to the point that we look up and we're like actually like believing really well together and living by faith really well together. So... I remember being a kid, I was what you called husky. I don't know if any of you uh, had that privilege, uh, being a kid, being husky. Uh, that was the politically correct word for overweight. Uh, I was really good at it as a kid. Um, I, was, uh, I was all boy, and I was husky, and, um, and I loved getting new clothes. You know, whether they were, sometimes we would get hand-me-downs. Uh, sometimes we'd actually go to the mall, go to Sears, and buy new clothes. I always loved that. It was incredible going to Sears or JCPenney. Those were the uh, stores we would go to. And I, I loved doing that because I would get new jeans. And my mom always hemmed my jeans up. There's nothing cool, cooler than having hemmed up jeans, let me tell you. Like, with no, uh, none of this, you know, my mom would, uh, I, I would make her hem them up on the inside because to hem them up on the outside was just really embarrassing and um, it was a dead giveaway. If you, had the, if you didn't have the seams, you know, it was a dead giveaway, but you were husky and everybody knew. <laughs> I had three styles of jeans or pants. There were my church pants. There were two pairs. They were khaki. Then there were my school pants. I had like two pairs of jeans for school, right? And then I had my play jeans. And those were just school jeans that I had blown the knees out in from sliding, right? We make our boys, even in the dead of winter, wear shorts to school because they blow out the pants the first day. Like, does Juju do that? He blows them out the first day. It's so annoying, right? Um, and so that's all I had. And when my knees would blow out, my mom would put patches on them. Did any of you have patches on your jeans? Again, another sign of not being cool, right? Um, and so I would try to make her put the patches on the inside of the jeans. She would want to put them on the outside of the jeans. That was a dead giveaway that we didn't have anything. That was her punishment, by the way. A patch on the outside of a jean was a sign, quit sliding in your jeans. And so it was just no fun uh, having those, like, that was my mom's like coping mechanism of trying to get the power back, making me feel uncool. So when I would get new jeans, it was a total game changer. Like new jeans, you know, you would get them at the beginning of school and it always just felt like it was a new fresh start at life. And then, and then shirts, like I always wanted as a kid, I was talking with Hugh Coleman about this last week and we were talking about when he was a kid, how he thought the coolest car in the world was the General Lee. And it's funny now, 30 years later, him as an African-American man, he's like, I like the car with the Confederate flag on the top of it, you know? And I was like, I know, man, it's my favorite car, too. I always wanted a plaid uh, button-up shirt like Bo and Luke Duke had on the, on the Dukes of Hazard, Or I wanted a shirt with G.I. Joes or Transformers on them. And I definitely didn't want a shirt with some wussy little logo right here. 
Like, and that's what my mom would always buy me with some embarrassing logo. If I think about myself and my clothes as a child, Natalie's going to start laughing at this. We were talking about last night. The photo, my mom would dress me in a turtleneck. Now, does this look like the neck of a guy who needs to be wearing a turtleneck, right? So my mom is putting me in these turtlenecks, and she won't let me wear what I want, and these goofy logos and no cool cartoon shirts. It's just always ugly, stupid shirts and stupid clothes. And, uh, and then when it would come time for shoes, we would go shopping. And I remember, do you remember the Reebok pumps? Man, I wanted a pair of those pumps so bad. And, uh, and then also Jordans. I remember when the first original Jordans came out, I, I was under the delusion that my mom was going to buy those. Or my dad, who was so cheap. My parents were divorced. My dad was so cheap. And, uh, and I remember one time my dad bought me a pair of shoes, and they tore up in one week. Literally one week, the sole came off the back. It was so bad. Uh, all of it was so bad. My mom was awesome. She would buy the best stuff she could afford. But, like, new clothes were always, like, a moment of hope. You know, it was like, there's a chance. Mom says, we're going to Sears. This might be the time that I slough off the turtlenecks and I get something, some jeans. I'm not going to be husky anymore and uh, never happened. So do you ever feel that in life? Like you just want a new start? You ever just want like a new, like those jeans? It was so nice when mom would throw those jeans in the trash. And what had been school jeans would then become play jeans, and then you would get new school jeans. It was like a fresh start at life. And what if, like, don't we want that sometimes with, uh, whether it's our clothing or some of the stuff around our house, Nat will go to TJ Maxx and, and buy some things sometime, and she'll come home, and she's like, babe, I saved us money. I bought this thing. I'm like, oh, well, thank you. And, uh, and we'll have a good laugh or... Um, she's great at yard selling and finding stuff that we really needed uh, for a dollar. And so we have a beautiful marriage. Um, it's awesome. I love with God that it's a new start every day, that we can always start over. We can start afresh. There becomes this, for, for Christians, there's a moment where everything changes And then it's just like every day God is continuing to remake us. And I want to show us today a verse and a half from Scripture that speak to this, if we might. So if you've got your Bible, uh, we're going to read Colossians 3, the second half of verse 9, verse 10, and then verse 11. Let me just tell you, Paul is writing this to a network of churches in an area or a city called Colossae. And, uh, and basically what would happen, you would get a group, probably even smaller than this, that would be meeting in a home or a large room, and they would read this letter from Paul, and then they would pass it to the next little group that would be in that same town. And there would be multiples of these groups in this town and in other towns. And Paul had started this necklace of churches around the, Rome, the strategic cities of the Roman Empire. And so he's writing this letter to the church uh, at Colossae, and he's dealing with a a heresy. There is a group of people who have come in, and they're trying to confuse the Christians at Colossae, and he's trying to deal with that. So he's going to talk about right belief, what it means to believe God and to follow Jesus, and then he's going to talk about how that ought to change the way we live. And so uh, with that in mind, uh, if you've got the little headings at the top of chapter 3, you can see what it says. He's going to talk about putting on the new self. So let's read uh, verse 9, 10, and 11. He says, 
don't lie to one another. It's a good practice to build our life on. The first eight verses, had we, if we were reading them, would be an, another list of things that we did before we followed God. And he says, seeing that, and this is what I was to focus on, seeing that, you have put off the old self. You've put off the old you with its practices, and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. It's that word image that we've been talking about. And then he says, and I love this, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all, and Christ is in all. And there's three things that he's talking about for the church here, because he's just writing to this network of churches, and he's going to say there's three things about them that I want us to look at today. We've got slides of them, we'll walk through them pretty quickly. One, the first thing he says is that in Christ, we are new. Christians are new. Now, last week, we talked about this tug of war that we sometimes feel in television. I used to love the Flintstones. Did anybody ever watch the Flintstones? Uh, A few of you, great. Uh, You remember Fred would always have like Angel Fred on one shoulder and Devil Fred on the other shoulder, right? And there would be an argument about whether he was going to buy a bowling ball or an anniversary present for Wilma or something like that, you know? And uh, we feel that. Do you ever feel that sort of spiritual tug of war between good and bad, right and wrong? I'm supposed to do this, but I want to do that. Those things. Last week we talked about that feeling that we feel between the old man, what Paul calls the old man, and what Paul calls the new man of the new person. From God's eyes, like we feel that tension, from God's eyes there's no competition. The old has lost and the new has won. We don't always feel that. Like I don't always do the right thing in faith, but for a Christian, the old has gone and the new person has come. Now, For a guest, let me just encourage you to understand that someone does not become new spiritually by going to church. That doesn't, coming here is awesome. I'm glad we're all here. But we could walk out of here in an hour and be no closer to God and no more new as people than we were when we walked in. Uh, And that's, that, that makes sense to us, you know, like God would be so impressed with what we do for him religiously. Uh, praying or being baptized or receiving communion. Those things don't make us any more new or less. We're going to receive communion here in, a, in about 25 minutes. You're not going to be more new with God because you eat the bread and, and dip the bread in the juice than you would be if you didn't do that. Those things don't have the power to push out the old man and bring in the new man. Uh, That only happens, and that doesn't happen by being good or being religious. It only happens, the Bible says, when when three things happen. When we turn from sin, we can become new. It's uh, like the word for that is repent. Here's what repent means. It just means 180. It means I'm going this way with my life, and then I turn, and now I'm going this way. That's the first thing that happens when God begins to make us new. As we turn from sin, and we say, God, will you forgive me? Will you just forgive me? I've not been a, I haven't done good and I've not even been good. Will you forgive me? And then the third thing we do, and this is the hardest thing, is we begin a relationship with God 
that is akin to if I pulled out my car keys today and said, Mark, I know yesterday was your anniversary. I want to give you the keys to my car. That's my gift to you for your anniversary. You don't want my car. It would be a huge headache. But, uh, but it wouldn't be that Mark had done anything. It would just be that I surrendered the rights to my car to Mark, right? To be a Christian is to turn from sin to ask God's forgiveness, and to surrender ourselves to God, to hand over the keys of authority of our life over to God and say, I belong to you because of Jesus' death and resurrection. I am now yours. And that's how someone becomes a Christian and becomes new. And when that happens, this verse says, God has declared us new and he has made us new. Now, most of you didn't know Rene before Rene began to follow Jesus, but he's a different guy than he was three years ago. When God looks at Rene, he says, Rene is new. He's been born again. But he, God has also made him new. So he's declared Rene new and he's made Rene new. And that's what the gospel does. That's what the good news of Jesus does. In God's eyes, we're totally new. Every year, my birthday's on Halloween, just want you to know. Uh, every year for my birthday, my mom buys me a new pair of shoes. This has happened since I was in high school. Literally, I'm four, I'll be 42, and I know that my mom will buy me a new pair of shoes in about 33 days. It's awesome. I look forward to it every year. After 365 days on the same pair of shoes, they're worn out, and they smell, and it's time for them to go in the trash. They are husky tennis shoes. Thank you, Carson. I appreciate your wit. It means a lot. Um, out with the old and the stinky and the worn out and in with the new. In the same way that we throw those tennis shoes out every year at Halloween, God wants to do something new in us. He doesn't want to take bad people and make them good. He wants to take the old you and essentially throw that out and get a new start in Christ, the new man. So Christians, he says, look at this. He says, don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self, like an old pair of shoes or old school, like play jeans. He says, you have taken off the old self and with its practices, and you have put on the new self. This was our choice, and we put on past tense, the new self. To become a Christian is to put off the old self and to put on this new self. In other words, God's saving work of changing us was a one-time deal, and we responded to him. Side note, for Christians, by the way, if you're a follower of Jesus already, you can't lose that identity. Some of you wonder, like, well, has God stopped loving me because I didn't do good this week? Have I stopped being a Christian? And the Bible says becoming a Christian, when that happens, like if this is you, that God holds you in the palm of his hand. And it is theologically and literally impossible for us by our behavior or even our struggles with faith to yank ourselves out of God's hands. Once we are his, we are his forever, regardless of our bad at times performance. The second thing Paul says, the second slide, we're new, we're becoming. We're becoming something together, Christchurch, Charlestown. We're becoming something together. He said the old self and the new self uh, here had some practices that would always help you identify them. If we went through and we read verses 5 down through verse 9, we would see about eight or nine traits. And here they are. He says, 
sexual immorality was a sign of the old self. Now, he doesn't name specific sins, but generally he's just saying sex sins were bad and marked the old self. And we've all been guilty of some type of sex sin, every one of us. And so we would be guilty. The old man would be guilty. He goes on, he says, impurity, not being lily white. Every Sunday we, we serve communion on this white tablecloth. And every Sunday somebody has to take it home and wash it because inevitably it gets at least one drop of grape juice on it, right? Every Sunday it gets at least one drop of grape juice on it. And that's us. Like the thing could be totally clean and one drop makes it impure and in need of washing. And that's us. If we, if we have one drop of like moral impurity, then we're in need to get rid of the old man. He says passions or living by the flesh, evil desires, covetousness, which he says is idolatry, wanting someone else's something. And then he says anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Some of us this week, uh, have been very emotionally attached to that peace park right around the corner, which was vandalized. And there's this tendency in our flesh, even as Christians, to want to say, well, we got to go get even. And we got to fight back. And that is not the, that's the way of the old man. Now, we rebuild and people put it back, but we don't have to get even because when we had sinned against God, God didn't try to get even with us. So I understand the feelings, but Christians who put off the old self don't let the feelings have full sway. That's why next week we're going to begin a series called How to Bully a Bully that's going to talk about, am I really supposed to turn the other cheek? Am I really, like, how do I, how do I deal in a world where people are bullies? Uh, how do I respond as a person of faith without, like, and not become a punching bag? And then he goes on in nine, says the last sign of the old man is lying. But here's some signs of a new self. If you look, look down from uh, verse 10 down, he goes on, he says, a compassionate heart. A compassionate heart is the sign of a new self. A Christian feels compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with other people, forgiveness, love. And, and that's not like romantic love, like I want to kiss my wife. That's cross love. I need to lay down my life for my wife. The peace of Christ, the word of God begins to mark the new self and a do everything for God mentality. We don't stop sinning. We don't stop sinning. If you sinned more this week than last week, welcome to humanity. You know what I mean? If you had drinks this week, if you drank too much, welcome to being human. We're becoming something together. If you were in traffic and you swore more this week than normal, congratulations, you're a human being. You didn't stop being human because you began to be a follower of Jesus. That's part of our humanity, right? But we're becoming something together. The key is to stop letting that old self have full sway and let the new, the new person have authority and let God have authority over our lives. And that, reminds, that happens as we remind ourselves of who we are. And even more of whose we are. Noah and Owen will, will get mad at me a thousand times over in their life at times. And they are going to do things that make me very sad and very angry. But they will never stop having my last name because they are my children. And it is the same way with God. Regardless of how much we love him or rebel against him, 
Once we are his, he claims us as his own. So we're becoming something together because we are his. The third thing I want us to see is that we are one. We're one together. We're, we are new, we are becoming, and we are one. Now those false teachers I was telling you about, they love to divide people into categories. That was one of the things they were known for. They would divide people into categories. They would say, now all the people from Florida, when we meet, you people sit over here. But all the people from New England, you sit over here. And all, all right, everybody break out your W-2, and everybody who made above this threshold, you sit over here, and everybody below, you sit over here. This is what these false teachers would do. And so Paul comes in in verse 11, and he says, now here in the church, there's not going to be that. There's no Greek, there's no Jew, there's no circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is all, and Christ is in all. So Paul's stepping in and saying, this isn't how our churches are going to look and act. This isn't how churches ought to look and act. He says, we become a new community together. I was just talking with Annie's mom. And she was saying that in this season of life, I hope you don't mind me sharing this. She was saying it's hard for her because she loves her kids and grandkids to always be at her church on Sundays. She said, I feel a little disconnected from that community. And I get that. There have been seasons in my life where I felt the same. None of us, though, is made to be a lone ranger person of faith. Every Sunday when you get up and you're like, do I go to church and worship with other people or do I stay in and watch the NFL pregame show or have brunch or just hit the alarm snooze and blow it off? Every time you defy those voices and you show up, God is going to do two things. One, he's going to encourage your soul because you were not made spiritually to be a lone ranger. And two, he is going to encourage someone else's soul because they were not made to be a lone ranger. And we need something and we're becoming something together. And so Paul says the church ought not to have any racial, uh, there can't be little racial categories in the church, you know, where it's like all the people of this color, let's sit here. And all the people of this color, let's sit here. He says here, there is no Greek and Jew. Those are the two big races of the Roman Empire. He says, there's no Greeks and Jews. We're all one. And then he says, there's no religious separation. Everybody who grew up Roman Catholic or uh, you sit over here and everybody who grew up something else, you sit over here. Or all the people who grew up going to church, you sit here. And all the people who grew up not going to church, you sit here. He says, we can't do that anymore, circumcised or uncircumcised. And then he says, regardless of your culture, you know, if you grew up super cultured and you like to drink your drinks with your pinky sticking out, like, you sit over here. But if you didn't and you drink your drink like this, you sit over here. There's no cultural barriers, he says, barbarian or Scythian. And then there's no social barriers that separate a slave or free. Those things the culture would seek to use to divide us. But Paul says those won't mark the church. He says Christ is our highest identity our highest concern, our highest unifier, every other identity, racial, religious upbringing, politics, economics, how long you've been in Boston or in Charlestown, where you live in this neighborhood, sexuality, social ability, cultural background, etc., follow behind that. I am a Christian. I follow Jesus. And all other identities have to follow behind that identity. And we've got to, be, 
our tendency of being human is to create these categories. It makes our brains feel better. But to be a Christian means we ignore those categories and we just have to pursue one another and pull in uh, as we follow Jesus. I had a conversation this week with a woman and she said, what's your church like? I like my church, she said. I like my church to be like this. And I told her this. This is an exact quote. We were messaging back and forth. I said, well, we're a church of and a church for nominal Catholics, Pentecostals, Congregationalists, Baptists, Southern American and National Baptists, and even some atheists and agnostics. And we're still becoming all of that together. She didn't respond back to my email. Um, She was looking for something other than that. And that's fine. I hope she finds a church where everybody believes just like her. We're becoming together. We're becoming something together as we follow God. A church where everyone looks, worships, votes, spends, and thinks the same way is no witness to the power of the gospel. Let me say it again. A church where everyone looks, worships, votes, spends, and thinks the same way is no witness to the power of the gospel. That's just a group of friends. Second thing I want to share with you in light of this passage. The more different but unified we look and are, the more beautiful the gospel is and the more glorified Christ becomes. The more our church economically gets this far apart from the wealthiest to the most economically vulnerable, the more beautiful Jesus looks. The more racially, uh, the more our color, skin color uh, diversifies and you get people all along the spectrum, the wider it gets, the, the more Jesus gets glorified. The further apart we get in our, so, in our political preferences, the more Jesus gets glorified. In our last church, we had this uh, Antifa young woman and she was one night just going off about you know this sort of socialist movement that she wanted and she was talking with a man in our church who she assumed to be like a tea party conservative now I knew that politically he was like very middle of the road much close and I remember her rebuking him for what she assumed were his political views and he said let me stop you right there and he looked at this uh, young woman and just assured her that they were family of faith regardless of how they voted. The further apart we get politically as a church and love one another, the more Jesus and the gospel are made beautiful and Christ glorified. And then finally, uh, we're to sacrifice comfort, culture, preferences, resources, and time and habits for the sake of unity in the gospel. It should be a sacrifice to love different people. But it's one worth making if we really believe Jesus is as beautiful as we think he is. We sacrifice to know one another and pursue one another. And then, Scott, if you'll pull up this last quote. And I'm going to hang my hat on this. I think it's so important that we put it on our website. We put this on anything that we print as a church. Christ Church Charlestown. Bringing Charlestown together around the gospel. I believe that the gospel is the one thing that can bring this neighborhood together. The gospel is the one thing that will bring this neighborhood together. It's the one thing. It's the only thing. This neighborhood will never come together politically. This neighborhood will never come together uh, socioeconomically. I hope this neighborhood gets more and more diverse and different. And therefore, in light of that verse, verse 11, the gospel is the one thing that will bring Charlestown together. 
Paul Myers took uh, one of the cameras. Paul's family has been in Charlestown for uh, decades and decades. And he came yesterday. I hated I missed him because he took our, one of my favorite photos in the whole exhibit. It's the photo, by the way, if you saw it, of Schraff's, all the, the traffic jam at the neck. And you can look, and he's taking the photo, and you can see it in this rearview mirror. And so I asked Paul, I said, Paul, what did you think of this? Someone who's been in Charlestown for decades. And this is his quote. I asked him if I could use it. Use it. He said, I thought the exhibit was a great mix of old Charlestown, new Charlestown, and everything in between. It really captures the town. My prayer is that that would be said of our church. That our church would become a beautiful mixture of old Charlestown, new Charlestown, and everything in between. Because I think as that happens, that's what the gospel does. That's what it means to be the church. To be, as Paul said, to be renewed in knowledge after the image of the creator. That's a community phrase. We become like Jesus as we become different together. We are new, we are becoming, we are one because of Jesus. Not our glory, but his glory. Image is everything, but it's not our image that ought to be coming into focus. But the image of God in and through our lives as a church. Let me pray for us, if I might.